Happy Friday. We are back for your Friday debrief. Today was a busy week, um, and we finally got some election updates to report on that. Really, this is where everybody knew we were going from the get-go. Um, at, well, we'll get to that in a second before I start, start rambling. Um, I want to talk about the California business owner who was shut down, and then, lo and behold, right next door, um, well, there was a lack of shutting down. And uh, she had a few choice words to say to the, uh, I believe, to the state of California. Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about Trump's bad messaging on COVID and how that relates to future messaging on COVID-19, lockdowns, mask restrictions, things like that. There is a miscommunication between the two sides of the argument, and I don't believe anybody is really trying to appeal to both sides. So we'll see what that could um, what that could bring down the pipeline towards us. Um, I want to talk about what, I guess, some things that we do agree on. Uh, There's so much talk in the news about how divided we are, and you've heard me say it before, that we are much more united than anybody in the news outlets would want us to believe. So I do want to spread some uh, encouragement there that we are more united, I believe, than others might say. Um, I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about um, at what point does just pray about it become a cop-out. This year has been a year for action in my own personal life, and in 2021, I believe there's got to be more action on the conservative political spectrum, and uh, I think it's very doable. So uh, with that, thank you for joining me. Let's get straight into it. This is episode 10 of the Point B Podcast. I'm Bobby. This is your Friday debrief. Wow. So what a week, right? There's been so much going on. Um, personally, I'm still recovering from Thanksgiving. I, uh, I think I mentioned it in episode nine that I was going to tell you about my Thanksgiving. And honestly, I don't have a ton of time in this episode. I'm trying to keep them short for y'all. But uh, real quickly, I, I threw up my back like an old man um, helping somebody move. And so well, my wife and I drive up to her parents' house, which is on a good day, about seven, seven and a half hour drive. Um, the day before Thanksgiving, not so much. It took us over nine hours to get there and it was miserable. Um, heading out of San Antonio, we touched traffic in Austin, which is not that far up the road. Um, unless you're in a small state here in Texas, we say up the road, that means like an hour and a half, two hours, um, Next door is like 10 minute drive. But uh, anyway, so that drive sucked and uh, just accidents everywhere. People driving like maniacs and then um, several sleepless nights at the in-laws and uh, mostly due to my back um, and then just the 50 dogs, including my own that don't go to sleep, don't shut up. So that was fun. <laughs> we had a good Thanksgiving though. It was cool seeing her parents and uh, spending some time on the road with my wife is always nice. I personally enjoy driving. I like road trips and it's kind of a a good time where, you know, I can't look at my phone and most I can do is listen to music or catch up on podcasts uh, while she's sleeping or when she's awake while we're driving, uh, we just talk and it's cool. Um, It's a lot of fun. So that's how my Thanksgiving went. I hope yours was uh, very good, very relaxing, more relaxing than mine. 
but uh, I'm looking forward to Christmas. We're going to actually stick around the house and probably just be us two. Um, we were saying the other day that most likely with, um, because of COVID it being just us two, this might be the only time that ever happens. We'll see, but I'm very close with my family. She's very close with hers. And so most holidays we're going to be around family and, uh, yeah, other than that, um, yeah, you're going to have to forgive me again. Second week in a row, my throat is just jacked up, not COVID. I promise I can still smell and taste no fever. Um, but the allergies in this area just skyrocketed this month. So, um, bear with me. I'm going to do my best not to sound too much like a uh, broken lawnmower. With that though, um, you heard me mention, um, we got some news finally, uh, some election updates, some real election updates. So first let's talk about secretary of defense, Joe Biden saying, uh, assuming that he's confirmed in January, He's saying that he's going to tap in uh, General Lloyd Austin for Secretary of Defense. This is a guy, I'm not going to get too far into him. I've been reading about him as much as I can. There's not a whole lot of info, you know, current info describing his past. So research that for yourself. I'll, I'll bring in some more details next episode as we, first of all, we're going to see if he's even going to, if Joe Biden's even going to go through with that nomination. There's several um, hangups for a Lloyd Austin confirmation. First and foremost, the legality of it. Um, there was some conflict within the Democrat Party because he's only been retired from the armed forces for four years. And so this whole um, effort to have a civilian-led military, that requires at least seven years retirement. <sighs> I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm a newbie over here. Got everything dinging still. Do not disturb. Here we go. Um, anyway, so the, the the Democrat goal of a civilian-led military requires that you be retired from the armed forces for at least seven years. So in the case of, in 2016, James Mattis being nominated for Secretary of Defense by Trump, uh, they had to do a congressional waiver to get him in. And what a lot of Democrats are saying is this isn't the right move. We would not back this. Uh, we would not, we didn't back the Mattis nomination. So we're not going to back this one. So, uh, and, and then on top of that, if you can't even get all the Democrats to back it, I doubt the Republicans are going to, because this is a guy that's got some real hangups from his time under the Obama administration. And, uh, not good hangups. We'll get into a little bit more of that, but bottom line, um, from what I've read, this guy was in charge or oversaw the the watering down of information coming out of the Middle East, information, intelligence, whatever, and essentially making it look like things were going a lot better in the Middle East than they were, which it has been argued that lack of seriousness or, you know, almost as if somebody might have seen ISIS as like the JV team um, of the Middle East, uh, that led to obviously the rise of ISIS. So we'll get into a little bit more of that on another episode. We got to see if the guy is even going to be taken seriously. The Biden campaign is obviously trying to tout this as a win for black America and prominent groups like Black Lives Matter are just like, no, nah, bro, no, you need to do a whole lot more. Uh, than just a black VP in Kamala and a black secretary of defense. That is just another military guy. So um, there was actually an article I might get into later that Black Lives Matter is 
really putting some pressure on Joe Biden saying, listen, man, we got you elected. You, you need to pay up. You need to start meeting some of our demands. And obviously their demands are not, not, uh, not what we're used to, to put it lightly. In regards to the election itself, um, Texas is suing the swing states. What is that? Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, I believe. Uh, and they've been joined by well, almost immediately Arkansas joined, which nobody's surprised by that. And then uh, last I read, I think it was 18 at least uh, other states have joined and backed this suit. So what this means is, tech, is essentially Texas is not suing saying that uh, Donald Trump should have won. We've said it before. I'll say it again. That's not the goal. What they are saying, what they are alleging, is that the states who allowed and encouraged mass mail-in voting without having a plan to authenticate those votes effectively, what that did is that compromised the... It, it violated the rights of every other state who did have secure ballots. Um, so if you've got states that are saying that because we secured our ballots, this was the outcome, and had you secured your ballots, there would have been a different outcome potentially, we need to look into that. So by Texas filing and being backed up by multiple states, it's going straight to Supreme Court, uh, and Texas has original jurisdiction, meaning that it's not a case that was decided on or rejected by state courts. It's skipping that whole process of um, district courts. I think they're referred to as appellate courts or appellate courts. It's been a while since my, uh, my, my law classes, but it's skipping that process and going straight to the Supreme Court of the federal Supreme Court. And uh, that's where everybody saw this going from the get-go. All this other stuff has been kind of, in my mind, the, the mentality I'm assigning to it is we, they had to go through the process of, okay, let's try for the state Supreme Courts, at least give them an opportunity to, um, to meet us and to discuss this and look into potential voter fraud or... Um, a mishandling of the COVID situation and, and how it related to the election. And so could the election be overturned from this? Yeah, it, it absolutely could. Um, there was another contingency I saw where uh, Congress, the house would end up voting to basically essentially dismiss electoral votes because of the potential for fraud in the popular vote election that assigns, a Democrat or Republican vote to those electoral college votes. Another scenario that it could happen, but we're just not sure. Um, if, if all Republicans really did believe that there was mass fraud, um, it'd be a different story. But I think a lot of people are, especially in the Republican party and the, the loyalist Republican party, the old guard, they want to just move on. They want to get back to, all right, let's just have regular politics. Uh, we stay in power. Y'all shut up. Uh, but then there's the other side. There's the, the cruises and the, obviously the Donald Trump's, um, I've seen Rand Paul and Mike Lee referred to as radical Republican leaders, uh, that, that do want this to at least be looked into. And we've talked about it. Why not? Why not look into this? Um, why is the Democrat Party so sure that nobody cheated in this election at all when back in 2016 they were saying the Dominion voting systems had 
flaws that could lead to outside influence at the time they were saying Russia. Um, so all of a sudden they, they're just so confident in the Dominion voting system. I'm not under, I'm not understanding where that confidence comes from, but if the election is overturned, not that it's ever been decided, this has not been confirmed with uh, I think they just passed the safe Harbor date for the electoral college votes that they are locked in saying that Biden will win. So, um, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but we are obviously on the pathway to a Biden confirmation. Uh, sorry, I couldn't think of that word. But in the in the minds of people who are being fed constantly, what, you, know, you can't have a Facebook post that has the word COVID or the word election without seeing Biden is the projected winner. Biden is the projected winner. Uh, there is no evidence of mass voter fraud, whatever. Um so with that in the minds of the general population, if there was a reversal of these decisions, that's where I see civil war. Because we've seen plenty of violence coming from the far, far left. Um, and there has been violence on the, on the radical right, the far right. I'm not saying, I'm not, not attributing radical right the same way the left would. I'm not saying Mike Lee and Rand Paul are radical. I'm saying the far, far right, the very, very uh, staunch nationalistic um almost libertarian, but I would say radical libertarian where they really do want the power to come from the right. They don't want it to be a government for and by the people. They want it to be for and by the people they agree with. Um, and those types of people are on both sides, but we've seen recent violence from the left, uh, after the George Floyd murder and those riots and protests, and there's plenty of violence, hundreds of injuries between the, the protesters and rioters and also the cops. And so we'll have to see what happens there. With that in mind, um, there is leaked audio of a Democrat leadership Zoom meeting um, where you, you heard them saying, even Joe Biden saying, we got our asses kicked because of defund the police. So Biden is still not saying that he's ready to start cutting budgets. He's actually saying he wants to give more money to police departments, which is right in line with how the Obama administration handled it as well. But they do want more community outreach. They do want more training for, you know, psychological training for um, dispatchers. And uh, there's a word I'm looking for, but once again, I can't think of it. But they, want, they want there to be more of a psychological outreach to people calling 911 to avoid ever having to send an armed police officer sounds good. But you ask anybody in a uniform, you start being lenient and you start being, um, overly compassionate and understanding. That's where you start getting more dead cops. There's a happy middle ground somewhere. There always is. And when you introduce politics into it, you never get that happy middle ground. So we'll see, we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. But back to the Black Lives Matter thing, this is just another area where Joe Biden is falling short of what Black Lives Matter has demanded in return for them winning Joe Biden, the presidential seat. So more on that to come, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll find out, at least by January 20th, we'll, we'll know something. Uh, moving on, in California, obviously California, one of the, the hardest lockdown states, or if not the hardest lockdown in the country, they've seen a huge surge in COVID cases, COVID deaths, and nothing they do seems to be helping the situation. 
And it's really sad. It's amazing to see these states and cities that are under heavy lockdowns with surging COVID cases. And then you go to other states, obviously more Republican states that don't have the heavy lockdowns like Texas. And overall, things are going really well. Uh, Obviously, yes, we are seeing increases in cases. um, And as Trump has said over and over and over, we're increasing testing. So obviously, more tests, more positive cases. It's the death rate that is what you need to look at. And in many states, I believe Texas included, that death rate is declining. Uh, Now, I do know in uh, West Texas, El Paso, you got a lot of people working in small communities due to uh, you got your oil drilling, you've got um, fracking and things like that. So you got a lot of people in small communities that are just pop-up communities. You know, it's wherever the money is coming out of the ground. And so people flock there. The hotel gets built real fast. There's an RV park or whatever. And then they move on to the next area. So what that doesn't include normally is an established emergency care center or hospital. And so what's happened, and I've seen this firsthand, uh, I've got a family member that works at the COVID central treatment hub here in San Antonio, and his hospital has been receiving patients from El Paso because they can't care for them over there, so they bring them here. Um, But other than that, Texas has been enormously successful. We've had to go backwards on our lockdowns a couple times, but overall things are looking good. We haven't had too big of a... Uh, interruption in just normal everyday life. You can still go out to eat, um, still go to bars up to a certain capacity. So everything's okay for now. We'll see what happens after, um, depending on who takes the White House. But anyway, so about this California business owner who uh, was shut down. She has a restaurant, I believe, and uh, she was told she she couldn't operate. And what a lot of these businesses are complaining about, and I think it's a very valid complaint, is they were told, "All right, you can stay open if you do this. Um, no, you got to you got to stay open now. You got to do this." And what that involved was usually, um, "All right, open the windows." Then it was only outdoor seating, so they got tables, they got heaters um, to start allowing people to eat outside. And there's just a whole a disruption in really a business plan changes when all of a sudden you're catering to outdoor type settings. You got to get picnic tables and those big propane heaters. And that's thousands and thousands of dollars for these businesses that are already hemorrhaging cash because they're having to pay salaries, but there's a lockdown. So people can't come eat in, in mass like they used to. It's, it's a, it's a very sad situation. This specific situation is out outrageous. I, I can't imagine dealing with what this lady is dealing with. Um, she was shut down. You can see uh, in the video, uh, I'll link to it in the uh, show notes, um, that you can see her outdoor seating, you know, with the, the tents and everything, looks exactly the same as what's next door. The difference being she was shut down and then the movie production studio that moved in next door is not shut down. And, I mean, you can assign any excuse you want bottom line is that's where the money is at for the state of california is movie production um restaurants i guess not so much but let's listen in this is about a two minute video this is the uh a bar owner in los angeles california and um let's see sorry i'm reading a tweet the person who posted this video a bar owner in los angeles california is livid to see that mayor garcetti 
has approved an outdoor dining area for a movie company directly across, I'm sorry, not next door, across from her outdoor dining area, which was shut down. Uh, so let's listen. So this is my place, the Pineapple Hill Grill and Saloon. If you go to my page, you can see all the work I did for outdoor dining, for tables being seven feet apart. And I come in today because I'm organizing a protest and I can't. And, and I, was, I was looking for it. I thought she was the one who posted this video, but this specific video is somebody else's Twitter account. Her name is Angela Marsden, owner of the Pineapple Hill Grill and Saloon. And to get stuff for that. And I walk into my parking lot and obviously Mayor Garcetti has approved this. Has approved this being set up for this being set up for for a movie company. And, and what she's showing, if obviously this this is an audio <laughs> podcast, I have to remind myself. Um, what you're seeing in this video is just big tents, a bunch of big tents, rows of them, with the long, what are they six foot tables or whatever underneath them with chairs. And she's pointing, saying that Mayor Gassetti has approved this in contrast to where she's leading. I'm losing everything. Everything I own is being taken away from me. And they set up a movie company right next to my outdoor patio, which is right over here. Wow. I mean, it's almost exact same tense. And people wonder why I'm protesting and why I have had enough. <laughs> They have not given us money and they have shut us down. We cannot survive. My staff cannot survive. Look at this. Hers looks better. I mean, you, you, you can see you can see picnic tables. You can see she's put up a little wooden fence to give it some aesthetic appeal. There's some um, looks like oak barrels with trees planted in them. I mean, she's set up an outdoor area for a restaurant, you know, basically a bar and grill that she's doing what she can to keep people coming in and to to be approved by local ordinances to continue operating and we're talking 20 feet 30 feet from this production company that has the same thing tents and tables and they were approved she was not tell me that this is dangerous but right next to me as a slap in my face a two-lane street, not even 30 feet. We're, we're looking at 20 feet with cones around it. That's safe. This is safe? 50 feet away? Not even. This is dangerous. Mayor Garcetti and Gavin Newsom is responsible for every single person that doesn't have unemployment, that does not have a job, and all the businesses that are going under. And we need your help. We need somebody to do something about this. Wow. And I encourage you to watch the video. There's definitely a bigger impact when you see how similar the two setups are. One was approved, one was not. And keep in mind, by a, a, a sorry, Governor Newsom, who was seen at a restaurant hanging out with his buddies, eating expensive food with expensive clothes on and no mask. And 
very similar here in Texas, the mayor of Austin, I forget his name, he sent out a video or a statement telling people to wear masks and to stay indoors and to quarantine while he is in Mexico vacationing. And so the hypocrisy of these people leads me into my next topic, which is the bad messaging on COVID. There are people who are saying never wear a mask or they're saying you should wear a mask or you have to wear a mask, but they're not living by example. People talk about Trump's bad messaging on COVID because he never wears a mask. Sometimes you see Melania with a mask, but rarely. And I'm torn on that. I honestly am. I put in my notes here, I agree that Trump has had bad messaging. But if any logical person, I think what Trump's doing plays easily into the media's ability to to mock him on, you know, okay, yeah, you say wear a mask every now and then, but you've never worn one, really. I see how they can use that easily. And so in my mind, if I'm Trump, I'm thinking, well, they're going to use this against me. It's going to taint my messaging. So screw it. I'm going to wear a mask. Trump's a little more stubborn than me, and that's pretty stubborn. Um, so while they're saying he should have or could have said much more and done it so much better, I agree with some of that. But at the same time, now let's flip it to an income incoming president, Joe Biden, elect, and he's not doing anything better. Why isn't he doing more to control the message regarding businesses being shut down? Why isn't he addressing situations like this saying, obviously, this is wrong? Trump addressed it. Trump brought it up all the time saying you got businesses, people being thrown in jail, businesses being shut down. All of a sudden, people don't have a paycheck. And we've had one $1,200 relief check come out. And, and I've talked about it before. I'm sorry. I, I start down these rabbit holes, but... I'm tired of people saying that that $1,200 check was socialism. That is not. You had a federal government telling businesses you have to shut down. In lieu of the money they would have made, the government gave them some relief. That is not the same as, oh, your business business isn't doing well. Here's some relief. Very different situations. But So back to Biden. Why isn't he bringing up these, these situations and saying, listen, this is not what we're going for. We're going for safe, responsible reopening of the country. But what we're getting out of him is on one, on one side of his mouth, he says, I'm going to be a president for all Americans. I'm not going to be red or blue. I'm going to be an American president. And we need to come together and put the, the harsh rhetoric of the Trump administration behind us. But then out of the other side of his mouth, he's saying, within my first 100 days, I'm going to tell everybody to put, to put a mask on. And wherever I can mandate mask wearing, I will. Well, that goes flat into the face of this, I'm an American president, not red or blue. That completely violates that entire sentiment where if he has the authority to tell a state, you have to do this. That, that, that's, that flies completely in the face of trying to be a uniting president. It, it doesn't make sense to try and, and to appeal to both of those different things. You got to pick one. I'm either going to be a president for all people and I'm going to communicate my COVID message in a way that takes into consideration people's skepticism of mask wearing and people's 
emotions about businesses being shut down and people being laid off and businesses going out of business. There was an insane percentage I heard the other day of the amount of small businesses, how many people they employ versus the percentage of small businesses nationwide that are just going to have to shut the doors. And it's, we're going to feel the effects of this for a very, very long time, not just in New York or California. There's going to be effects nationwide. One positive point, me living in Texas, a lot of these companies are fleeing and coming to Texas. And while it's a positive point on one side, because obviously our political tax structure, everything is appealing to more businesses and more jobs are coming to Texas. Flip side of that is you got like Hewlett Packard coming from California. You got Silicon Valley uh, bleeding out right now. And most of that's coming to Texas. They're bringing lots of people with them, I'm sure. And that just feeds into the goal of the Democrat Party flipping Texas blue. So we'll see what what that results in in four years, really, or in two years when we go to midterms. (sighs) So all that in mind, uh, we're, what, 30 minutes in? Uh, I can do this. Come on. Um, With all that in mind, election, COVID, whatever. I still feel that we agree on so much more. I, I really do believe that through mass media, through social media and censorship, we are being made to feel isolated, alone, helpless, hopeless, inconsequential, um, and really dependent on higher powers in government. But of course, not the highest power, <laughs> not a heavenly power. We're, we're being made to, to feel like, okay, I need a politician to do X, Y, and Z, and then my life will be okay. And that that's completely the opposite of how our, our economy, our system of government, our social structures, our freedoms, it's all based on power being centralized in the, in the individual. But what we're seeing in COVID lit a fuse on this, we're seeing that power being moved, that hope, that faith being moved from the individual into political buildings or whatever you want to call it, political people, politicians. But really, we're not that divided. We, we can retain that power because we do agree in mass on many things on COVID. We do agree the vast majority of people, the, the messaging to wear your mask overwhelming, overwhelmingly has worked. Even here in Texas, I live in a small town outside of San Antonio. Even in this small town, I'd say at least 75% of the people are wearing a mask. Now, you still fall into the pitfalls of masks are super freaking uncomfortable. So everybody's messing with it and then touching other stuff that everybody's touching. I don't think that's that's a small town thing. That's just masks in general. And that's that was one of the biggest problems that a lot of people had because it creates this false sense of security, number one. And then number two, they're so uncomfortable, you're constantly taking your glasses off. Where does all that breath go when you breathe into a mask? It goes straight up onto your glasses. Then what do you do? You take your glasses off and you wipe them off with your shirt, put them back on. You're handling COVID if you've got it, regardless. Like, okay, yeah, you're not breathing it straight up somebody's nostrils, but it's getting onto your hands and then you're touching everything. And it, it well, I'm not here to talk about masks that's something we definitely do agree on but as far as the the messaging of covid i believe we do agree for the most part that 
we need to take it seriously, but now we've learned new things. So now we have to protect the vulnerable and the elderly, immunocompromised people. We can agree on the fact we don't want old people to die. I'm not sure if Cuomo, Governor Cuomo of New York, can agree since he was allowing COVID-infected patients to come back into nursing homes and thousands and thousands of elderly died because of that. I guess nobody cares about that. But bottom line, nobody has all the answers. I saw a video of Rand Paul speaking um, about the vaccine before Congress the other day, and he was talking about, now of course Rand Paul is a doctor, I forget what he specialized in, but he is a doctor. And he was talking about the science backing the aspirin a day movement. He said it took like 10 years to get that, to prove that an aspirin a day did help keep people from having, excuse me, to help keep people from having uh, heart attacks, I believe, or strokes, because it thins the blood out, helps prevent clots. Proving that the aspirin a day did help was tough. Why? Well, it's because much like hydroxychloroquine or steroids or zinc supplements, it's tough to say that helps with COVID for the same reason it was tough to say that an aspirin a day helped with heart attacks, because you, you don't have really a control group. You've got, it, it's tough to say if you're, if you're treating a sick patient, it's tough to say that any remedy worked if that person probably would have gotten better on their own. And that's definitely the case with COVID is the vast majority of people recover. Now the speed of recovery and the, the level of pain and discomfort they go through that can be measured, but it's tough to say that okay, a certain drug, hydroxychloroquine, is going to help since that person would have healed anyways. And I thought it was very enlightening, and it shed more light on the fact that this is a brand new virus. This is not something we've had for years, so the science is not settled. And I hate hearing that phrase. If somebody tells you the science is settled, or the election is settled, and then they follow it up with a shut up and sit down type thing, that's the time to stand up and speak even louder. This idea of balance that I always come back to, balance requires the skeptic to be given a voice. The skeptic offsets those in power who are all too sure of their own opinions. They believe because they've been elected into a position, okay, or appointed into a position, they believe that their voice should be taken so seriously. And yet when the skeptics come out, the skeptics are often shut down. Anybody who wants to silence the skeptic should be ignored, not silenced. And that's and there's a there's an important distinction there. I don't want to silence anybody. We're we're seeing silencing happening on social media all over the place. Uh, article I hope we have time for probably won't as uh, YouTube banning accounts and videos that are skeptical towards the projected results of the 2020 election. That is a silencing of voices, and that is not what I'm for. I believe we have an individual responsibility to look at who's speaking and either give them our audience or ignore them. But to silence them, that heavy-handed authoritarian practice is contrary to how our country was set up. And that leads me into um, probably my last point, and then we'll, we'll cover bases for some other articles quickly. Um, but at what point does air quotes, just pray about it, become a cop out? I'm, I'm, 
man of faith. I come from a family of faith. I believe in prayer. I believe that the most powerful thing an individual can do in any situation is to pray about it. I believe that 100%. But I also believe that the Bible is full of characters, figures, whether it's Jesus or it's Moses or it's Noah or it's Job. They were men of action. The Bible didn't say, and they prayed and everything was solved. The end. And they all lived happily ever after. That's not how it is. It's they prayed and they sought guidance and wisdom from God, which we should do every single day. But they didn't just pray. Prayer handled the spiritual fight. And we need those prayer warriors. But we're also in a situation where we need fighters. We need real fighters. We're in an earthly battle as well. And that's where Trump came in. Trump was a fighter, I believe. He was the the big blubbering idiot general that was good at fighting, but not leading an effective movement. He's, He's good at leading as Trump, as the guy, and everybody just has to do what he says, but not necessarily inspiring a movement, which a movement achieves victory with the minimum casualties. Just hammer fisting, just, you know authoritarian, not that Trump was an authoritarian, but he was leaning that direction in many situations. Other situations, he rejected the temptation, but we're seeing a lot of casualties from Trump's um, combative rhetoric. That was his instinct, the chaos. Um, I mean, you want to talk about fear of retribution. We're seeing a lot of casualties from Trump supporters and conservatives being put on to retribution lists. Uh, to how, how what we're seeing with um, social media and the censorship that's going on with YouTube now censoring, blocking, and suspending accounts and videos that dare to say the election could have been swayed by fraud or voter irregularities. So how do we respond to something like that? What happens if YouTube is wrong in the end? What happens? Let's, let's just say, I don't believe this is going to happen, but let's just say the election is flipped from projected Biden to, oh, another four years of Trump. Civil war implications aside, what's what about YouTube? YouTube was wrong, and the facts will show that YouTube is wrong, and yet they silenced voices anyways. What sort of retribution is there on that? Will they have spread false information? <laughs> Do they need to block themselves now? I think that those are important questions to ask. And I said that was my final point. That leads me into truly the final point before we start wrapping it up. I saw a Vox article about the FCC. So the current FCC chair, I think his name is Pi. um, He's been great on keeping regulation out of the FCC as much as possible. There was a Vox article about the FCC and they were trying to make the point that deregulation only helps the rich. So... You had AT&T merge with, uh, what was it, Verizon or Sprint, one of those. Um, and then you, you you had the argument of net neutrality. So what is net neutrality? Put over overly simplified, I, I am acknowledging, but essentially that internet traffic could not be throttled up or down and that internet service providers, ISPs, should not be allowed to tier pricing, essentially. 
or to show favor as far as broad broadband connectivity to certain companies or individuals or municipalities or whatever it might be. Um, and so the Vox article was saying that that deregulation, you know, the FCC not requiring net neutrality, that it helps the rich. But does it? The internet is not a right. There's nowhere in the Constitution that says that you need to have the internet. Now, I'll acknowledge that the internet is pretty essential in today's world, but I don't need the same bandwidth as the small business down the street with 13 iMacs connecting to the internet and working and creating jobs and making money. I need enough for my MacBook and my phone and my iPad and maybe a couple other devices or if I want to play video games. Another thing that uh, net neutrality is wanting to achieve is getting the internet out into rural areas. So in my area, here in the small town of Bernie, we've got a handful of internet service providers, but then you go up the road into San Antonio and you've got as much as many options as you could possibly want. But at what point, why is the government even trying to do anything about that? What sort of um, motivation do they have? And, and what it boils down to, the, the fear of net neutrality is giving the government an arm into the wild, wild west of the internet. The internet is the last free bastion of people being able to say what they want to say, do what they want to do. I could open up www.bobbyasparza.com and post whatever I want on there, and they should not be allowed to silence that because that is my free speech. I own that domain. You could argue where the, the domain's being hosted. Maybe they have a say in it. I don't know. But what happens when the government does get its tentacles into the internet where they start regulating and enacting policy? Well, then you have a clear path to my voice, this podcast not being allowed, them not allowing broadband width to this type of a platform. And that's why so many people have flocked to podcasts because it's the HBO essentially compared to cable TV. Cable TV, you got censorship. You have to bleep out bad words or replace them with other words. My favorite was uh, in Dumb and Dumber when Lloyd tells Harry to kiss him, kiss his ass. He says, uh, he says, right on my ass after you kiss it. And in the TV version, the one that I saw years ago, it said right on my sandwich. And it was hilarious. But it, it's, it's a censorship. It's a form of censorship. But this podcast, I can say exactly what I want to say, however I want to say it. And there should be no... There should be nothing the government or the FCC can do about it. There's no uh, policies or regulations I have to comply with because this is just my voice. So that being said, net neutrality, I believe, is going to be a huge thing because Pi, who's chairing the FCC right now, is leaving. I think there's it's a chair, a board of three members. Uh, the other two, well, I think there's one other Republican and one Democrat other than Pi, who's also a rep Republican, with him leaving. Biden's going to appoint someone new, probably a Democrat. You'll have two versus one. And I think we're going to start seeing talks of net neutrality again. So be aware of that. We'll talk more about it um, when it gets closer to that time where something's going to happen. Oh, boy. So much I want to talk about. And I didn't touch base on half of it. We're at 45 minutes. Um, some honorable mentions I'll talk to you about uh, that I think you should definitely look into. Uh, let's see here. First, dictionary.com. 
changing their definition of court packing. Very important. They're changing it from the real definition of court packing being adding seats to the Supreme Court, which is what Biden wants to do because, and I know that because he won't say that he doesn't want to do it. He probably will now because they're changing the definition of it, but they're changing it from adding seats to filling empty seats. So they're saying that Trump court did court packing because he appointed three conservatives, air quotes, conservatives, we'll see. And they're calling that court packing. That's not court packing. That is a constitutional duty of the president to do when you've got an empty seat in the Supreme Court, you fill it. Court packing is, okay, we've, we've never had more than nine seats in the Supreme Court. Court packing in its true definition, up until what yesterday or three days ago when dictionary.com changed the definition, traditionally, court packing has been, all right, we've got nine seats, let's add four, which is what the Democrats, have, I believe, have been talking about doing, setting it to 13, so they get to add four, obviously, liberal Supreme Court justices, and they get to swing the majority within with one fell swoop. That's not how the system works. And dictionary.com is doing their best to change change the conversation because now I, I can't say court packing the way I would have. I have to now clarify what I mean by that and the messaging can get confused, which is exactly what the left wants, right? More confusion, more chaos, because in that chaos, they get to do what they want to do. Uh, moving on, a Sports Illustrated article Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii introduced a bill to apply Title IX protections based only on biological sex. So this comes into play where they're, what they're using it for. And the reason Sports Illustrated came out with the article is not allowing allowing transgender men to compete in female sports. Um, they want to protect the rights of female athletes. I mean, if I'm going to boil this down to the nitty gritty, if you're going to start down the argument of, well, we got to let, we got to be inclusive. Well, why do we have a segregated men's and women's sports to begin with? If, if we're, if we're going to start being diverse and stop segregating based off of traditional gender and biological sex, well, why don't we just have the national basketball association? And if a woman is good enough to compete on that level, cool. So I think they, they need to be very careful about that argument. Tulsi Gabbard, of course, I don't know how the hell she's still a Democrat. That's a different topic. Uh, now there's uh, there's a new new probe into Hunter Biden, uh, his tax records. He's saying it's very it's a very uniform investigation. There's nothing that, that's going to come of it. There was a 2.8 carat diamond given to him by a, a Chinese uh, energy mogul. $80,000 diamond given to Hunter Biden. Um, now it's not cash, so I guess you can't call it money laundering, depending on what he did with the cash, but this was an asset given to him in exchange for what? Uh, I believe the article said, this was a New York Post, um, an introduction meeting or lunch, and the reward for that was a 2.8 carat diamond. Uh, so good times there. It must be nice to be Hunter Biden. Uh, let's see, a Vice article. 106 House Republicans are demanding the Supreme Court declare Trump winner of the election. That's a fun article. That one I brought up just because it's a fun read because Vice is just so far down the left's, um, well, the left uh, mentality of things. Here's another article. Biden in leaked audio suggests the GOP beat the living hell out of us over defund the police. I brought that up earlier. That's a good read. From the blaze, Black Lives Matter movement turns on Joe Biden, says BLM leaders were invited 
or weren't invited to the White House. Uh, this was this is a very very important article. Uh, I'll read that headline for you again. Black Lives Matter movement turns on Joe Biden says no BLM leaders were invited to meeting with civil rights leaders. Um, there was a lot of people at this this civil rights meeting with Joe Biden, and the fact that no representative from Black Lives Matter was there, um, they're going to be pissed about that. I, I'm going to bring up a CNN Politics article, their, their headline, Fact-Checking Trump's Falsehood-Filled Supreme Court Brief. It's important to understand that this, this filing from Texas that's going to Supreme Court does not seek to overturn the election. And that is a topic that they, it's, a, it's an idea they can't grasp as they are talking through some of these issues. Um, but it's very important to understand that checking if there was voter fraud is not the same as saying there was voter fraud. We're proving it here. Trump should have won. Very two, two very different ideologies. So look at that one. A big piece of breaking news this week um, from the New Yorker, Diane Feinstein's missteps raise a painful age question among Senate Democrats. This whole f- Diane Feinstein, Feinstein thing started when she shook hands with um, Lindsey Graham during the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings and saying that he did a good job of leading that uh, confirmation session. And the left hated that. They hated that she would even dare shake hands with, with Lindsey Graham. The other day during the, um, during the, the um, Senate Judiciary Committee talking with Twitter, Jack Dorsey of Twitter, and uh, what's-his-face from Facebook. Diane Feinstein uh, asked the same question twice to Jack Dorsey. Back-to-back, she, she read the questions and her sentences, everything exactly the same, uh, same voice inflections. Uh, of course, Jack Dorsey was nice about it, and he answered the question again. <laughs> But she was obviously just not even aware that she had asked the same question twice. So she is stepping down from her seat and it just highlights, you know, that maybe there should be an age limit or at least term limits put on Congress. I don't know. We'll see. There's a course from BBC News, the one that I used uh, YouTube to ban videos alleging widespread voter fraud. That's an important article uh, that's got huge, huge future implications. The World Health Organization, WHO, says don't hug loved ones this holiday season. Um, can tell them exactly where they can shove that one. Uh, the Vox article with Ajit Pai, who was Trump's FCC chair, who repealed net neutrality, is leaving on January 20th. Huge future implications there. Um, and I think the last one I'll talk about is Louisville declares racism a public health crisis. When you start attributing public health crisis to anything, you are asking for big government, and that's exactly what they want. Their Democratic mayor vows to reimagine public safety, Um, so we'll see what comes out of that. That's a very scary situation when you start having politics injected into how our communities are kept safe. Um, Not much good, I believe, can come of that. Not saying that government should get out of keeping the public safe. Obviously, that's like their one <laughs> their one job from the Constitution. But um, when there's politics involved, that's where I see uh, a lot of potential for the exact opposite 
goal being achieved. So we'll see. With that, man, that was a lot to get through. Um, thank you for bearing with me. I will say here as I'm heading out, I am not a news organization. I'm just a dude using my voice effectively or maybe ineffectively to relay information and commentate on things that I believe are important. This does not replace your intellectual curiosity to reading these articles yourselves, number one, and then two, finding journalists that you support and who you believe and you can trust. And three, don't trust anybody. You know, I do my best if I'm reading an article from Fox News about something or from The Blaze that is obviously probably going to cater more to my opinions of these different matters. I try to offset that with an MSNBC or an NBC or CNN or Politico and just do my best to, to pick the truths out. It's very important to do. And so I encourage you, find some time every day, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. Read the news. Don't watch it anymore. It's, it's Cable news is dying. They're not presenting facts or anything like that. So while you're doing the typical uh, Monday through Friday thing, find some time to satisfy that intellectual curiosity if you have it if you don't well well that's part of the problem isn't it uh, nobody's got that anymore but um, as we're heading into the weekend we're getting super close to christmas figure out what you're going to do i've got a coworker that is self-quarantining for three weeks because she wants to go visit her grandma i think that's a great thing um why take a chance you know so if you've got the ability do your absolute best protect your family members especially the elderly um, anybody who's got health issues, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We're seeing some headway being made on the election, but until there's decisions right now, it's in the courts. So again, still same thing. I've been saying this whole time, take a breath, chill out, be kind to each other, be nice to each other and understanding with each other, do something around the house, clean up a little bit, make it look not so much like a pigsty as my mom would say. And uh, appreciate the things you have that you worked hard for and just every day fight to make your life better. And in so doing, increase your capacity to positively inf uh, affect the lives of those around you, whether they're friends, family, coworkers, or an absolute stranger on the street. Try to be a positive light in somebody's life this weekend. Uh, thank you for joining episode 10. Uh, 10 episodes was my goal uh, right off the bat. Now we uh, hit the ground running and we really start putting some uh, some real push behind this thing. I hope it hope it works out. If you like the podcast, let me know. If you don't like it, let me know. If you like how I'm presenting things, share with your friends. Share it on Facebook. Share it on Parlor. I encourage you to get on Parlor, uh, Twitter. Uh, I'll put how you can follow the show on Facebook and uh, Instagram and Twitter, and me personally on Parlor. So uh, with that being said, let's close this one out. Episode 10, I appreciate you being here. This was the Point B Podcast, your Friday debrief. Have a good weekend.